My son, Will, uh, was married 19 years ago. I have two boys, Anthony, Will, and Kelly uh, is my daughter. Uh, she spoke last week. Uh, wasn't she good? Uh, amen. So uh, 19 years ago, Will got married in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and uh, that was on a Saturday. On a Sunday, a uh, number of us in the family were to fly back to MacArthur Airport because I was going to do Sunday morning service on this Consett Highway. And uh, so when we got to the airport, uh, it was like a real comedy of errors. N number one, it was a Sunday morning, July 2nd. Who would have thunk that the uh, airline and the airport would have been so busy? The, the line to check the luggage was out the door and down the block. And I'm saying to myself, I don't know if we're going to make this flight, you know, time-wise, right? So uh, one of us, my son Anthony uh, and I, we either checked uh, the... The luggage, the other one checked uh, the van that we had rented, and uh, the women uh, and a couple of the little kids made their way to the departure gate. Now, that was my wife, uh, Kathy, and Shannon, my daughter-in-law, and uh, my grandmother, oh, not my grandmother, sorry, my mother-in-law, we called Grandy, uh, was with us, and uh, uh, so, like, what happened was like a real comedy of errors. The first thing that happened was, well, I realized uh, I didn't want to carry my tuxedo on the plane. So I asked Doug, who drove down to the wedding, uh, to drive it back. In fact, Doug and Kelly would, would be married exactly uh, a little more than a month later. And uh, so, so, so I asked Doug to drive the uh, tuxedo back, and, and I realized uh, I don't have my wallet. My wallet is in my tuxedo with my identification, my credit cards, and all that stuff, right? We had our boarding passes. So, so the, the women made their way down to the, to the boarding uh, gate, uh, and uh, uh, Noah, my two-and-a-half-year-old uh, grandson at the time, sticks his finger into the, the conveyor belt, and uh, it hurts, and he starts screaming bloody murder. Uh, his two-and-a-half-month-old sister starts screaming because he's screaming, so the both of them are screaming. Shannon's trying to comfort uh, Noah. My wife's trying to hold and comfort Emma, and my mother-in-law wanders off and gets lost. We don't know where she is, right? Uh, so the question is, are we going to make this flight? So, so, so actually, uh, we're getting really close to, the, to boarding time. And, and right really seriously, before the plane doors were closed, my wife is standing out there. She's talking with the, uh, the uh, airline agent, and she's waving Anthony and I to come running. So, so for the last, like, eighth of a mile, we run our way uh, to, the, to the plane. Now, the amazing thing is, I don't have ID. But my wife amazingly convinces the airline representative to let me on the plane because I have to do Sunday morning service. I'm a pastor, and, and, and the church is expecting me. And so, so they, they let me on the plane. Now, now, this was one year before 9-11. You, you got to know that with today's security protocols, there is no way they would have let me on that plane. So what I want you to know is that identity, ever since 9-11, really, truly, Identity has never been more important. So when Jesus, the Messiah, shows up, uh, the long-awaited Messiah shows up, uh, there's not too many people that uh, were really um, thinking that he was, in fact, the Messiah. But Jesus had, had an absolute uh, picture of himself drawn with remarkable accuracy from 
hundreds of years uh, of what we call Old Testament scriptures. And those Old Testament prophecies that speak about his life, his death, his, his resurrection, his ministry, uh, were, were almost like, if you will, his photo ID that Jesus really is who he said he is. See, Jesus came in fulfillment of 340 specific prophecies. If I said to you that the next person that comes walking through those double doors is going to be a male, I've got probably a 50-50 chance of being correct. But if I add 339 more specifics to that, then the odds of my being right become astronomical. And so Jesus is who he said he is. And, And if that's not enough to convince the skeptics, then Jesus still leaves his DNA and his fingerprints on the lives of every single believer. In all of human history, no one's identity has been more important than that of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus asked his disciples, guys, do you know the most important answer to the most important question, which is, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Hey, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I am thrilled that you're here. And our desire, my desire, is that you would not only come to know and believe that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, but that you would put your trust in him for eternal life. And that eternal life begins the moment you trust in Jesus. Last week, Kelly quoted a promise that Jesus made. He said, anyone who will come to me, I will never cast aside. In fact, we know that Scripture gives us the promise that I will never, never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And that you can take to the bank. Identity has never been more important. On an equal importance and on a personal level, our identity in Christ is so important. But there's a tension that that, that exists here. And the tension lies between my life before Christ and who I am now in Christ. By the way, let me, let me say that the, the term in Christ is a phrase that, that's found more than 80 times in the New Testament. And those references to being in Christ talk about our privileges, our inheritance, our rights, the, the favor that God's bestowed upon us. For example, the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. In Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it says, uh, it says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so that's a great way to uh, go through the scriptures and look for those phrases, and you'll discover some of the benefits and the privileges that we have in Christ. Identity has never been more important. But here's this tension, right? Let me, let me try to explain what the tension is. A very well-known theologian of the 20th century was a Swiss-born man by the name of Karl Barth. And Karl Barth came to the United States to attend a conference with many of his theological peers. And he was asked this question, what what is the most significant truth that that you've ever contemplated? Without hesitation, this is what he said. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little children to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. There is no more profound truth in all of the word of God than the revelation of his unconditional, eternal, everlasting love. Everlasting means no beginning, no end to the love that he has for his own. So then where's the tension? Jesus loves me, but I am weak, and he is strong. And the only way that I could ever know strength 
is that I might be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Emphasis, his might in the Lord. See, because in my flesh, there's no good thing. In my flesh, there is weakness. Uh, my flesh being my, my old nature, my, my, my sinful nature, the, the fallen nature that is the result of every single human being that we were born and shaped in this thing called iniquity. In one of the most intense moments of the life of Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating great drops of blood, he says to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, he says, guys, I need a little help from my friends. Just stay here, watch with me, and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Just watch and pray. And so Jesus goes off and he prays. And each time that Jesus prays, he goes back lovingly to check on them to see how they're doing. But when he finds them, guess how he finds them? Sleeping. And this is his commentary on the flesh or the sinful nature. He says, truly, the spirit is willing that there's a willingness, a desire to do what is good and right, but the flesh is weak. And that is, that is the problem with this human nature that we were born with. It is essentially weak. It wants maybe to do the right thing sometimes, but finds itself unable to do so. Someone asked me recently, uh, why is it that after Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, why is it that Jesus didn't just wipe Satan out, just do away with him, you know, cast him into the lake of fire, you know, right, right then and there? And I said, truly, that day will come. But we would still have a problem on two other battlefronts, the love of this world and the flesh. And those, even without Satan, give us a problem and we have to overcome. That's why it's so important for us to understand the tension that exists between our life before Christ and our life now that we are in Christ. The man who wrote one of the most beloved hymns of all time, Amazing Grace, John uh, Newton, uh, said this in his latter days. He says, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. John had a a keen awareness of who he was and who Jesus was. He said this in that same context, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. And I'm not what I hope to be, but still I am not what I once was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Again, John knew that he was a sinner saved by grace and that Jesus is a great Savior. So important. We see the same kind of attitude reflected by the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. And when he writes to Timothy, this is what he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, he says, I am the worst, of whom, he says, I am the foremost of sinners. What I want you to please notice is that what Paul did not say, he did not say, I was once the foremost, or I was once the worst of sinners. He used the present tense to say, of whom I am the worst. Jesus left the comfort of heaven and the worship of angels that he might be discomforted by vile and wicked men. For what purpose? To seek and save the lost at an infinite cost to himself. Paul understood his identity before Christ and his identity, his new identity as a new man in Christ Jesus. 
as we, as we build upon this, look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul said, For I am the least of all the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm on the back of the line, he's telling us. I'm not even worthy to be numbered with the apostles. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Or to say it positively, his grace worked powerfully in me. Once again, Paul gives us an honest assessment of himself in that same way that John Newton said of himself that he was the foremost of sinners. Paul the Apostle understood the difference between who he was before Christ and who he is now that he's been in Christ. And, he, and, and, and we know this because he labored more abundantly than all, all of his peer apostles. He accomplished so much more than they. But you know what he says? Yet not I, but the grace of God. That is, he gives the credit, not to himself, but to the grace of God. Paul didn't suffer from delusions of grandeur. He didn't have a grandiose view of himself. Even when God used him in signs and wonders and miracles, he raised the dead. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But Paul didn't have this grandiose view of himself. He understood, he had a right view of who Jesus is, and who he is in himself. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Believe me, that is so true. My wife and I, on our way to church this morning, she was praying for the service, and, and she said, Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. That is a good place to come to believe. But we flip the coin on that, and we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I can't do anything in myself apart from Christ. But when Jesus strengthens us, there's nothing shall be impossible with us. Remembering who we are is just as important as remembering of who we are in Christ. Remembering of what we once were is so important. Just as important as remembering who we are in Christ. And again, Paul had an honest view of himself, and he didn't allow guilt, he didn't allow the shame of his past to affect his future. And we see the zeal that Paul had. You know, uh, they, they dragged him outside of one city, and they left him for dead. And Paul gets back up, and he goes right back into that same city where he had been almost beaten to death. And some even project that maybe... Maybe he did die for a little while, and God raised him back up. He had tremendous zeal. kind of reminds me of the Spanish uh, explorer, Cortez. 27 years after Columbus's discovery, he lands in, in what, what is now called Veracruz, Mexico. And uh, uh, two other expeditions had failed to accomplish a settlement in that same vicinity. But he was so determined, he was so zealous to establish land for king and country that he, he did this. He gave orders that his fleet of 11 ships be burnt to the ground. That is commitment. There's no retreat. There's no failure. It's unacceptable. We hear that same attitude in the Apostle Paul. He said, forgetting those things which lie behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind is not erasing your memory of the things that you did in the past. No, it's letting go of the things that you once cherished and the things that you once loved. But it's also a looking forward to a glorious future that Christ has purchased for us. See, I believe that the knowledge that you are personally, unconditionally loved by a great Savior is a key to solidifying 
or making secure your identity in Christ, the love of God. You know, I, I remember years ago, somebody said to me, oh, Pastor, you're going to talk about the love of God again? And, you know, we want to know the deep things that are, uh, that are of God. You know, it's so basic, it's so elementary, and I tell you, it just blew my mind. And, and, and I would say something like, are you kidding me? You, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what Paul calls unfathomable, the riches, the, the, the dimensions of the height, length, breadth of, of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. How could we not be overwhelmed by the knowledge that he personally loves you, no matter, in spite of, in spite of everything that you've ever done? He loves you personally. See, I believe that a proper perspective Remembering of what we were outside of Christ and now that we are in Christ will, will enable us to, to, to excel in, in at least three or four areas. Number one, it will keep us humble. And before honor comes humility. And, and humility is so important because God gives grace unto the humble, but he resists the proud. God gives grace. Unto, and, and so to keep us humble, we need to remember what we once were. Number two, it will also keep us dependent Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. My one true righteousness, my one defense, Lord, I need you. It is so good to declare your dependence upon God, to know that, God, without you I can't do anything. It's so important because I tell you what, the essence of sin, original sin was what? It was Adam declaring his independence of God. He wanted to be his own God. And so to keep us dependent upon God is a good thing because it will keep us from falling. Number three, it will create in us a heart of gratitude for all that Jesus has accomplished and all that, that, that he has achieved on our behalf. And that will do something else as well. It will keep us from ever losing the wonder of it all. Spoke to someone after the service, in the first service this morning, and they said, yeah, we, we, we can get so familiar, so used to, Having, having giving our hearts and lives to Christ. No, no, no. We're never to get used to the wonder of grace. See, the accuser knows all your backgrounds. He, he knows the, the, the things that, that, that are uh, familiar to your weaknesses, and he knows how to exploit those things. Listen, if Satan had the audacity to tempt Jesus in the area of his identity as the Son of God, do you think the strategy is going to change for you and me? If he said, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you really are the Son of God, change your circumstances. If you really are a child of God, then why are you sick? And the enemy will come at us in the same area of our identity. On the other hand, if you're walking with the Lord for a long time, like me, 45-plus years, and you've had some measure of success overcoming some addiction or some bad habit, and, and, you, and you're walking in the Spirit, and you, you know the victory that is in Christ. You know the tendency then? The strategy actually changes, and the strategy is to kind of puff you up and to, and to, and to bring you down through pride. And i tell you what, when, when you get puffed up thinking that you're something special, that's when you, you lose your, your apathy, uh, you, you lose your compassion for others who are struggling with the same kind of sins that you overcame. And it's so important that we remember who we are. You see, our security will never come from self-achievement. And our esteem and security will never come apart from Christ and Christ alone. He is the one who produces that security in us. 
In the book of uh, Proverbs, Solomon has these observations about nature, and he draws parallels for human behavior. And, and, and one, one of the things he spoke about with his, was this little animal, kind of think of it like a rabbit. And this rabbit is absolutely defenseless, doesn't have any, any claws, doesn't have any sharp teeth to defend itself against a predator. But what it does <clears throat> is it makes its home in the rocks. It utilizes the fortress of the rocks around him to fortify against the predators that would easily devour them. You know, in many ways, you and I are defenseless against so great a foe that wants to wipe out our identity in Christ. But the wisdom is that we make our home in Christ, that our lives have been hid with Christ and God. And that is so important that we discover that Jesus is that fortress for us that keeps us from falling. So the question is then, how do, how do we manage then this tension between, between who I was and, and who I am now? Because see, I, I think the problem is that many of us think way too much about who we were rather than who we are now in Christ. We, we spend way too much time, and the enemy would remind us of the things that we've done in the past. There was a small circus that traveled through Europe some years ago, and uh, one of the small f- side features that it had was this cage, with a 12-foot uh, cage with this, with this bear. And this bear, I mean, month after month, year after year, th- this was this existence, and it would pace back and forth, 12 feet forward, 12 feet back again, month after month, year after year. And the public, the, the viewing public was really, they were really cruel. They would, they would throw lit cigarettes at the, at, into the bear's cage. They, they, they would hide uh, slivers of glass in, in food items and then toss that to the bear to eat. This, what a miserable existence this was. Well, finally, finally, the circus went out of business and they sent the bear to a nature preserve. What a contrast. It had green rolling hills. It had, it had a water stream in it. It had fresh air. But, you know, the, the difficulty was even trying to coax the bear out of the cage. It had been so beaten down and so, so conditioned by that 12-feet cage. The cage is now gone. Here's the real tragedy. The cage is gone. But the bear continued to walk 12 feet forward, 12 feet back again. 12 feet, 12 feet. It's as if it, it couldn't see the, 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 the green hills. It couldn't see the water stream. It couldn't enjoy the, the newly found freedom that it had. And you know what? The application is really kind of simple. It's like, unfortunately, some people, they, they can't enjoy the, the newly found freedom that they have because they receive Christ, they receive the gospel, but when temptation comes, even their own flesh rises up in them and, and, they, and they, they want to do good, but they find out that when, when, when they want to do good, evil is present with them. That's what the Apostle Paul said in, uh, in Romans chapter 7. And there's this, there's this frustration there between my old nature, my old man and, and my new man, and they fall. And they, and they begin to think, well, maybe grace isn't working for me. Maybe it works for somebody else, but it doesn't work for me. Maybe, just, just maybe, their identity now becomes wiped away. And they no longer trust that they are in Christ. And as a result of that, they, they can enjoy the newly found freedom that Christ has purchased for them. This is why this is really so important. 
There are two things that we need to do. And, and, and the good news is that you can experience transformation. You don't have to stay stuck in the past. You don't have to live with the memories of the, of the past. I mean, know that they're there, but don't be controlled by them. This is why Paul writes two things. One is negative and the other is positive in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And, and when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the earth. We're talking about the world system that is anti-God and anti-Christ, that doesn't have the values of God, doesn't have the priorities of God, who are basically living to satisfy the flesh. And that's the world. And, and the scripture tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. So the apostle says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world shape you into its mold walking 12 feet forward and 12 feet back. Don't be confined to its parameters, but rather, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You can be changed. You can be transformed. You can put on the new self, which is created in true righteousness and holiness. In fact, the Bible says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the sinful nature, or the flesh. Haven't you seen that dopey commercial on TV? I, I notice all commercials. My wife, oblivious. I find some of the commercials entertaining, but there's one dopey commercial with this actor. He's, it's talking about apartments. Anybody hear that one? He says, change your apartment and change your world. No, when you change your apartment, you change your zip code. That, you don't change your world. But, listen, if you change the way you think, you can change the way you live. If you change the way you think, you can change the way you, you live. Listen, researchers have proven that thoughts such as gratitude. Remember what we said a little while ago about gratitude? Being thankful, being grateful, thoughts about being Grateful can literally change the molecular structure of the brain. In one study, a group of researchers found that higher levels of gratitude can do, number one, better sleep. Create better sleep. Who can't use better sleep? Hello. That's me. I could use better sleep. Number two, lower levels of anxiety. How would you like to have lower levels of? I mean, isn't that the thing that really gets to us, right? Worry, anxiety about the, the present or the future. Lower levels of depression or discouragement. Change the way you think you can change the way you live. Uh, I've got 11 grandkids, and, and, and all of them are all gifted uh, musically. Uh, my grandson was playing uh, the drums this morning. Uh, they play drums. They play guitar. They play bass guitar. They play the keys. They play the sax, they play the flute, they play, even Noah even plays the violin, my goodness. They all got that talent from their grandmother, not from me. One day one of them said, hey, Papa, what do you play? I said without hesitation, I said, the radio. <laughs> and then they looked at me and they said, what is the radio? <laughs> they don't know what radios are today. Kids don't play radios. I tell you what, my, my, my brain has never been trained to play an instrument. It's the brain that tells the fingers what to do. The talent isn't in the fingers. The talent is in the mind. If we can change the way we think, we can change the way we live. If we think the thoughts of God, 
we can walk with God and we can walk with godliness. See, my old self says I'm sinful. And while that's true, my new man says, yeah, but you've been forgiven all of your sins. My old man reminds me that I'm guilty, but my new man reminds me that my guilt has been removed by Jesus Christ. My old man says, you deserve to be punished. And my, absolutely, I agree with that. That's true. But Jesus took the punishment that I deserve. My old self is aware of all my failures, but my new man in me says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you choose to think old man thoughts, you will stay weak and vulnerable to the enemy coming in and wiping out your identity. You know, last week Kelly mentioned that, that there are some well-known members of the leaders in the body of Christ who've renounced their faith, who've, who've walked away from Jesus. It's not the first time that's happened. In the, in the New Testament, Paul talks about a guy by the name of Demas, who was one of the staff members with Paul, and said, and said Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, is gone to Thessalonica. In other words, he was seduced by, by, by this attraction that is in the world. But I tell you, a couple of weeks ago, when we were praying about those leaders who've been seduced, the word of the Lord just, just came to me very clearly that there are spirits of deception that have been released on the body of Christ to steal, wipe away your identity. Don't let the enemy do that. You know, the Bible tells us not only how to think, but what to think. In Psalm chapter 1, the Bible says, it says, think upon the word of God, meditate upon it day and night, and you will have good success, and you'll be like a tree planted by the waters its leaf will not wither. You'll bring forth fruit even in old age. That's how to think. Think on the word of God, but also what to think. Philippians 4.8, listen. It says, fix your thoughts. Set your thoughts on what is true and right and pure and lovely and of a good report. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. All of those can be described as the word of God. Keep putting into practice. Again, practice is so important. How you think can change the way you live. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, and the God of peace will be with you. The inexplicable, how many, how many of you know the inexplicable peace of God when you're going through a trial, when you're suffering a loss, someone close to you, but there's a peace that is unexplainable, but God just has you in the palm of his hand. Listen, we should never be surprised when that old nature wants to resurrect itself, when the old man wants to come back and take control of your life. We should never, ever be surprised. Remember, if Satan tempted Jesus to doubt his identity as the Son of God, is he not going to try that same kind of strategy with you and with me? See, there are three areas of conflict that we face. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Take the devil out, and we still have the world and the flesh. And again, the world is that, is that part of the world system that is, that is opposed to God, that doesn't have the priorities of God. And either one of those are areas in which we need to overcome. And you could sum up those, those areas in the world by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
which is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. It's dying. But he that does the will of God shall live and abide forever. That is an amazing promise. LifeLock is an identity protection company. They monitor your, your, your stuff, right? But they can't help you when it comes to identity in Christ. That's up to you. That's up to me to guard our identity that is in Christ. Don't let the world, don't let the devil, don't let the flesh steal your identity. See, I heard this story, and it's absolutely true. It's about a man who was found behind a Burger King. Um, he was beaten naked. He, he was, it was, actually, he was beaten unconscious, and he was stripped naked. And when they took him to the hospital, when he finally came to, he had no recollection of the event that put him in the hospital in the first place. But beyond that, he had no memory of who he was. He didn't know what his name was, didn't know where he lived, didn't know his, his, his birth, nothing. They did DNA analysis and fingerprint analysis in an attempt to try to find some relative that they might know who he is. He was even, he was even featured on the Dr. Phil show. Dr. Phil had hired a private detective to try to find this guy's identity with no success. Imagine, one day, here you are, you have, you have a past, you have a present, you have a hope for a future, and then something traumatic takes place in your life, and then suddenly, your identity is wiped out. But you know, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to you. Through some traumatic event, he wants to take away your identity and say, if you really were a child of God, this wouldn't be happening to you. Don't let that happen. But I want you to know this, if, if you are in Christ, if you've received and put your trust in Jesus, then I want you to know this, that without your permission, Jesus assumed your identity. He stepped into your personal account between you and God. In fact, he took control of your account, not as a thief to steal from it, but as the wonderful Savior that he is to pay to pay what you owed in full, to pay your debt in full. And now God requires that you do just, just two things simply. Number one, that you would acknowledge you owed a debt that you could not pay and that Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. And when you place your trust in that exchange that takes place, you stand in his achievements and his accomplishments. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. I want to kind of close with this, this quote, and I'll just kind of wrap things up. It's from Jerry Bridges, and I love this quote. He says, we must place our reliance, our trust, our faith entirely on the perfect obedience and the sin-bearing death of Christ as the sole basis of our standing before God. In other words, Christ and Him alone, nothing added to it, only Jesus. On our best days, as well as on our worst days. What's the implication of that? The implication is that I need Jesus. Every hour I need Jesus on my best days as well as on my worst days. In fact, I think I need him more on my best days because we all have a tendency of forgetting just how lost we were, especially the longer we walk with Christ. 
we have a tendency of forgetting the pit from which he rescued us. Identity is so important. In my flesh, there dwells no good thing. In your flesh, there dwells no good thing. So what's God to do then with the flesh? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't renovate it. He doesn't renew it. He doesn't refurbish it. He doesn't educate it. There's only one remedy for the flesh. Anybody know what that is? He crucifies the flesh. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness because Jesus did not sin, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and because of sin, condemned, condemned sin. Jesus bore our iniquity on the tree. By his bleeding stripes, we are healed. See, Jesus took our identity so that we could take his identity. This is the great exchange. We give him our sin, guilt, our shame. He gives us the covering of his righteousness. We give him our condemnation. He gives us the hope of eternal life. That's a pretty good deal. You have to be out of your mind not to accept that deal. Jesus took our identity so that we could take his. In a couple of minutes, we're going to close with a song I absolutely love. It's called Living Hope. Here's one of the lines. It says, The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. In fact, the cross is spoken. It is finished. The King of kings calls me his own. Can you say that this morning, that Jesus calls you his own? See, if you've been bought, you've been bought without silver or gold, you've been bought with the price, with the precious blood of the Savior who is a great Savior, because we are great sinners, but Christ is a great Savior. I hope that before you leave today, if you don't know that you know that you know that you belong to him, you can today through faith. And your life can be hid with Christ in God, and your identity is now in Jesus. He's the head. And we are members of his bone and of his flesh. We are members of the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but the head is never separated from the body. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'd like to pray for all of us, but especially if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to put your trust in him today, remember he said, anyone who will come to me, I will never cast aside. While our hearts are bowed in in prayer as we pray this morning, I want to say this. These aren't magic words. These These are simply the heart reaching out to a wonderful Savior. And you could say something like this, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I receive you as the great Savior that you are. I confess I owed a debt I could not pay. And you paid a debt you did not owe. Now take me as your own, that I would belong to you and you to me. Praise God. If you did that, while everyone's still kind of in this place of prayer. 
if you did that for the first time, the very first time, would you, would you just give me a glance so that I can be praying for you this week if there's one here as I look around the room? It's hard to see, but I, I do hope that you've reached your heart. And so I want to just pray for the whole church one more time. Father, bless the word to our understanding. Let it go down deep in our hearts that no one can steal from us this knowledge that our identity is in Christ. 